Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part one of the series, The Light of God. Here we go. We're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This morning we're going to talk about the light of God. You probably never heard of that. But we're going to talk about the light of God. I want to begin a new series this morning. And I was planning on trying to make it just one message, but I just couldn't fit it all in. So I decided to make it a series. Amen. It's going to be at least two sessions, maybe more. Hallelujah. So I want to begin with a truly fascinating verse of Scripture. That is James 1.17. And I want to look at this verse and see what we can learn about the light of God. Amen? Let's read it. James 1.17 in the King James Version. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, whether you realize it or not, this scripture is packed full of revelation. And if you dig into it, you're going to find out a lot that you would miss if you just did a surface reading of James 1.17. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible because of what I just said. It is just power packed with revelation. Hallelujah. Here's just a few of the things that we can glean from this awesome scripture passage. First of all, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights. I remember when the Holy Spirit arrested me and said, I want you to think about that. The father of lights. I said, "Okay, Lord, I I want to think about it. What are you trying to show me? He said, if I'm the father of lights, that means there's more than one kind of light, and I'm the father of both lights, natural light and supernatural light. Amen. So that's the first thing we know from this scripture, is that God is the author of all forms of light, whether natural or supernatural. Now, natural light, as we know, comes from a point source, and it always casts a shadow. But in this example, James says he's the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That whole phraseology is a reference to a sundial. Amen. The way they used to reckon time back in those days is they would look and see what the shadow was doing as it moved across the sundial and they could tell what time of day it was. Amen. So the sun, James is saying, the sun cast a shadow that moves across the ground, which is constantly changing according to the time of day, according to its position with respect to the horizon. Isn't that right? Amen. He uses the difference between natural light and supernatural light to illustrate something about the character and the nature of God. In other words, he's he's contrasting the sun that we see move across the horizon. Now, we know because we know science 
that it's not the sun that's moving. It's the earth that's rotating, right? But the sun appears to move across the horizon. And as it does, it casts a shadow that moves with respect to its position in the horizon. James says God is not like that. He does not have any variation nor shadow of turning. He's eternal and he does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. God hasn't changed his mind about anything. Amen? He feels the same way about homosexuality that he did in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. He feels the same way about those babies that they dedicated to Molech. They burnt them as sacrifices back in those days. He feels the same way about that as he does about people who abort their babies, an altar of sacrifice to their convenience. Amen? He feels the same way. But it's not all negative. He also feels the same way about the gifts and callings of God on your life. He hasn't changed his mind, no matter how many wrong turns you've made or how many times you've messed up. This is what I find comforting. God's already factored in all your flubs and all your wrong turns and all the times you've missed it. He's already factored that into your destiny and you're still going to win. Glory to God. Whoo, that gives me comfort because I've missed it bigger than Dallas a couple of times. You know you've missed it when you've missed it bigger than Dallas. And I have. Amen. But God knew ahead of time. And he always managed to get me back on track when I repented and released that thing to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not sure I completely understand this. But if I read this verse correctly, it seems to be saying that the light of God can be a point source. It can shine down from heaven. But somehow... It doesn't cast a shadow. So God's light is different in that respect. It can shine down on you, but be all around you at the same time. And I confess to you, I don't understand that. I just believe it. I remember seeing a testimony one time of a surfer who died when he got stung by poison jellyfish. He left his body. He went up on a cloud and Jesus was standing on the cloud. He had given his life to the Lord at the moment of death. And he's standing on a cloud and he noticed this bright light was shining from behind Jesus. He saw heaven and there was a light shining from heaven and it shined on Jesus and it shined on him. And he looked down at his feet and he noticed that he was not casting a shadow and neither was Jesus. And he asked Jesus, why aren't we casting a shadow? And Jesus said this, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Amen. 1 John 1, 5. Don't you love it when Jesus quotes the Scripture? In other words, He's saying, God's light does not produce darkness even in a shadow. That's wonderful to know. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Whoo! Although natural light and its properties are a reflection of God's light, the light of God defines him. God is light. 
it's not just his characteristic. He is light. It is who he is. Hallelujah. God is light and his light brings all that natural light brings and much, much more. Natural light brings light and warmth and growth and life. But as we'll discover, God's light brings all those things and much, much more. Amen. Just like James understood the difference between natural light and supernatural light, Paul understood the difference as well. Acts chapter 26, verse 13 in the English Standard Version. I love this. A little background. Paul and his company are on the way to Damascus. He gets knocked off his horse and he has an encounter with the Lord. And he's recounting that testimony to King Agrippa here in Acts chapter 26. And we pick it up at verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Think about that. It was a point source. It had an origin. It shined down from heaven, yet it shone around them as well. I'm sure that if Paul had been checking that day, he would have noticed that he was not casting a shadow because God's light does not produce any darkness at all. Amen. Isn't that cool? Glory to God. The light of God. Notice Paul says it was brighter than the sun. The light of God eclipses and is more glorious than any natural light that you could ever imagine. Glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 7, King James Version. Again, this is Paul speaking. Paul had a definite revelation about the difference between God's light and natural light, spiritual things and natural things. And it comes out very clearly in this passage. So so hang with me. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen. Now, Paul is talking exclusively now about the light of God. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So right here, Paul tells us something that God's light does that natural light cannot do. God's light can illuminate your soul, can regenerate your spirit, can give you the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. That kind of light is the light that Paul's talking about. Here, Paul makes it clear that the kind of light he's referring to in this passage is the same kind of light that God used when he said, let there be light. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the light that he's talking about is positively identified as the light of God, not a natural light, but the light of God. Verse 7, here's the punchline. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Remember, we're talking about the light of God. But first, I want you to know something. The phrase, the excellency of the power, is actually more correctly rendered, the throwing beyond others. The throwing beyond others. Think about it. We have the treasure of the light of God on the inside of us, inside mortal, earthly bodies. And if we'll just let that light shine, it will propel us beyond others in the pursuit of our destiny and gather others to that light as we go. Amen. Glory to God. Think about that. God's light will propel you further and faster and higher than you could ever do in your own strength. That sounds pretty good to me. That sounds like a rocket to me, and I'm into rockets. I want to be propelled to the stars by the light of God. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40 to 42. In the English Standard Version. Now, I have to give you a little background here. In this passage, Paul is trying to describe to the Corinthians the difference between the natural body and the spiritual body we will have after the resurrection or after the rapture, whichever occurs first. Amen? Got it? There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. It's interesting to me as we progress to these other verses that Paul uses astronomy to make a contrast between the glory of our natural earthly bodies and the glory of our spiritual heavenly bodies, the ones we're going to get. Amen. Remember, we talked about it in Alien Invasion. There's a brand new body with your name on it in the showroom of heaven waiting for you. Hallelujah. How many are eager to slip into that new body? I think even young people are. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this is what Paul is talking about. But he finds a way to weave astronomy into it. So he's a man after my own heart. Hallelujah. He says in verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. Amen. The fact that one star differs in glory from one another is such a known thing in the field of astronomy that astronomers have categorized the stars according to their glory. Let's put up the star class slide. Okay, stars are categorized according to their color and their surface temperature. There's O, B, A, F, G, K, M class stars. Starting at the bottom, an M class star is red and burns at 2,500 to 3,500 degrees Kelvin. But at the top of the scale, an O class star is blue and burns at 28,000 to 50,000 degrees Kelvin. So stars indeed differ 
in glory, in color, and the brightness and the temperature of their surface. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what does that have to do with our bodies? Well, verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Amen. Now stay with me. I'm going to tie all this together. Paul makes the point that there will be no comparison between our natural terrestrial body and our spiritual heavenly bodies, which will be improved in every way and will be indestructible, incorruptible, and immortal. Glory to God for that. Hallelujah. Let's look at a comparison here. Next slide. This is a comparison of our sun next to a giant blue star. And in fact, in terms of color and intensity and temperature, there is no comparison. Our sun burns at a surface temperature. I'll convert to Fahrenheit. Our sun burns at a temperature of 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. But a blue star burns at a temperature of 90,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Nine times as much and many times bigger. So Paul is saying in the same way, the difference between the natural body you are in right now and the body you're going to receive are like the difference between an orange star and a giant blue star in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. They're different in size. They're different in glory. They're different in intensity. They're different in temperature. They're different in every way. And he uses that analogy to apply to the difference between our natural body and our spiritual body. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, listen, it all comes back to the light of God. Just like the stars have different classes, we'll be a whole new class of being. Hallelujah. In fact, there's a scripture that says, I believe it's in Daniel, that those who bring many to righteousness will shine like the stars of heaven. Glory to God. I wish I'd remembered to put that in my notes, but I got it out, didn't I? Hallelujah. Glory to God. The light of God shines brightly in our earthly bodies if you're born again spirit filled right now. The light of God is burning brightly on the inside of you. But how much more will the light burn brightly in you when you have a perfect spirit, soul, and body? There won't be any interference from your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, or your body or your flesh. So the light of God will be allowed to shine more perfectly in your new body. So the analogy of stars is, is so exact it's it's scientifically wonderful. I wish uh, Lucinda was in here. She's going for her Ph.D. in chemistry. She'd be like jumping up and down because we're talking about science. I just love the Bible. And there's things in the Bible that you won't find unless you go digging. Amen. You think I got this on my own? <laughs> no, I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, 
Go look at the classes of stars and weave that into what you're sharing. And I said, okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is mind-boggling. This is awesome. This is so apropos, as they say in the trendy way. (laughs) Glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't know about y'all, but I'm having fun. Once again, the light will shine brighter in your new body because there's no interference. And no interference from your soul or your body because they'll be brand new, made just like our big brother Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be sad about that if you want to be, but I'm going to be happy about that. <laughs> Glory to God. All right. Paul understood the difference between natural light and supernatural light, and so did the Apostle John. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. We're going to go through a lot of scripture, so bear with me. We're in church. You can handle it. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The Young's literal translation of verse 5 says it like this, And the light in the darkness did shine, and the darkness did not perceive it. Now, you have to dig into this word to understand what's going on here and find out when it says the darkness did not perceive it, comprehended it not, the King James says. Some translations say, They were not able to overpower it. So the darkness, basically, they weren't able to deal with the light. They didn't know how to handle it, and they couldn't overcome it. Amen? The light shone anyway. All right. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, listen to this, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Stop right there, hold the phone. If I'm reading my Bible right, it says the light of God has shined inside the hearts of every man and woman that have ever been born on this planet. That means the spark of the divine is inside man. Now, whether he chooses to come to that light or not is his choice. But the light of God is there, and if you'll yield to the light that is in you, it will give you the ability to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't leave anybody out. He didn't make it so that you had to accidentally find out about Jesus. He put a light on the inside of you. Romans chapter 1 says it like this. He put in you an innate sense of the eternal God on the inside of your heart, in your heart of hearts, whether you profess to be an atheist or not, inside of your heart, you know there is a God. That's why in Romans 1 it says, therefore they will be without excuse, God will say, if they say, well, I didn't know you existed. And his answer will be, well, did you look at the stars? Did you look at all the animal life and human life 
and all the varieties of colors and splendor that I created on planet Earth. Did you look at life? Did you look at the stars, the galaxies, and the universe? And did you listen to the voice on the inside that said, I'm here, I'm real? Therefore, you will be without excuse. In other words, God can't hold them responsible for knowing if they didn't know. So when people say they're atheists, I'm telling you right here up front, they are lying. They are not speaking the truth in their heart of hearts. They know when they lay their head down on their pillow at night and they're all by themselves, alone with their thoughts, they know there's a God. Some of them are just so filled with pride, they refuse to acknowledge him. How sad to slip into the bowels of hell knowing God existed and refusing to receive him. How sad. How sad. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Before he did anything else, God shined his light into the darkness that covered the earth in the beginning. Now we're going to find out it was not until four days later that God created the sun. So we know that we know that he's not talking about natural light when he said, let there be light. He's talking about the light of God. And I don't have time to go into this. We might as the series progresses, but there is such a thing called the gap theory. And in the gap theory, looking at Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's other scriptures that say that when God creates something, he creates it full of life and perfect. And then verse 2, by the time you get to verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The picture in the Hebrew language is utter darkness and chaos. Now, I am a person that believes in the gap theory. You don't have to believe the way I do, but this is the way that I believe. Okay, Between verse 1 and verse 2, there were perhaps thousands, millions, even billions of years between in the beginning and when chaos came. And the way that I believe it and the way that I teach it is when Satan and one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven down to the earth, the earth was devastated and brought to ruin because of their influence. So that by the time God decided He was going to do something about it, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 5 in John chapter 1 says, And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not perceive it. They did not comprehend it, and they were not able to overcome it. To me, that speaks of personalities, not just natural things. In other words, the demonic hordes that now inhabited planet Earth couldn't stop the light from shining on their darkness. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But that's as far as we're going to go down the gap theory detour because 
I mean, I could be here for hours, and y'all don't want that. Even I don't want that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So you see here that the light that John was talking about, the light that shined in the darkness that he's talking about, was the same light. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That same light of God. It's not talking about any form of natural light. Amen. Praise the Lord. And if you don't believe me, about four days later, God created the sun. I'm going to show it to you in the scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16 through 19. All right, I'll just give you a little review. On day three, the grass and the trees and the shrubberies were created. Okay. If the grass and the trees and the shrubberies were created and there was no light, they wouldn't survive, would they? That's why the light of God, before he did anything to reshape the planet Earth in seven days, he had to have some light and he shined the light of God on planet Earth. All right. Praise the Lord. Verse 16, chapter one. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. That's the sun and the lesser light to rule the night. That's the moon. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, good. And the evening and morning were the fourth day. So the sun was not even created to the fourth day. So we know that we know that the light that John was talking about was the light of God. Amen. Glory to God. Before the natural light of the sun and the reflected light of the moon bathed the surface of the earth, God's supernatural light was first on the scene. And that light shined upon the darkness. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Next week, we'll continue the series with a comparison of the properties of natural light and the properties of the supernatural light of God. And it'll be a time where Dr. Scott can geek out a little bit, <laughs> use my PhD, and, and wow you with some science and Bible stuff. Amen. And still receive a spiritual lesson along with that. Amen. Hallelujah. We're talking about light here. That's the bottom line. And the light of God shines brightly in each of us. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Glory to God. Remember, we have the light of God shining inside and outside of our earthly bodies. And if we'll just let that light shine, it will propel us beyond others in the pursuit of our destiny and gather others to that light as we go. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of today's message titled, The Light of God. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. 